The Insurance and Injury Law Show, one 990 help at the That is email. Lots to get through today, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll touch on the injury calculator, a very awesome and easy-to-use tool. We will get to that in just a bit, and a bunch of cases and questions that come through you through email and uh, otherwise as well. But first, we start with the, uh, the week that was. Savannah, what's going on? John, it was an extremely busy mm-hmm. week and good. a very good week for many of my clients that we got some claims settled for. And uh, this is one of the things that I want to talk about just for a minute. For everyone out there who thinks that when you start a legal claim for a personal injury, for a car accident, for a slip and fall, or a disability case against your long-term disability insurer for cutting you off or denying your claim, you know, people think that it's like what they see in the movies. You end up in a courtroom. And the reality is that you almost never, never... Uh, see uh, a courtroom. It does happen, just like it does happen, that sometimes, perhaps in your lifetime, you may end up going under a surgeon's knife. But for the most part, you go to the family doctor, you know, they can be treating you for things that are not that aggressive. Same thing with these kinds of claims. When you're dealing with insurance companies, you have to understand these insurance companies are there to make money. It costs them money to fight these kinds of claims. Now, sure, sometimes there is legitimate grounds for Mm -hmm. them to fight these claims. I used to be one of the lawyers advising them and telling them to fight these claims. But, you know, last week, John, I was involved uh, in a case that resolved. I can't give any particulars uh, because uh, it's obviously confidential. But what I can tell you is that the mediator that I had was exceptional. He was absolutely fantastic. And this is another thing that people need to understand. When they are hiring a lawyer to represent them in an injury case or a disability case, that lawyer really has a lot of control over how the claims process progresses, which is why I keep saying, if you go to a lawyer for a simple case, and you know, Lior talks about that a lot on his employment uh, show, you know, if you go to a lawyer that's supposed to help you and make things as easy as possible mm-hmm. to resolve the claim, uh, but you go to the wrong lawyer, not only are you going to get no phone calls back, no emails back, nothing, you got to chase them, but your case is going to drag out for years and years when it really ought not to. And so the case that we had uh, last week, the resolved, you know, we started it less than a year ago, literally months and months ago. That's it. And, you know, with any other lawyer, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I do think, and it was commented on by uh, the mediator as well, you know, you really want to make sure that the lawyer you're hiring is going to push your case forward as fast as possible. Yeah. And you want to make sure that the lawyer knows who to hire as a mediator, because when it comes down a time to sit across the table from the insurance company's representative, their lawyer, and having an impartial mediator there to resolve the claim, you want to make sure you have the right person. Makes it nice and smooth, It makes it nice and smooth. So it's just very, very important. You have to choose the right lawyer. All right, let's get uh, down to business. So here's a question that was posted on uh, our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Here's the question from Janice and Ajax. I'm off work due to breast cancer. I was hired in January 2016 and had a probation period which ended April 10th, 2016. I had a regular checkup, a mammogram at the end of March 2016. And they, the insurance company, said that they wouldn't pay because I had a mammogram at the end of March, which proved nothing at the time. They are claiming I had a pre-existing condition. So that's the, that's the reason for the denial. And a lot of people who call us, call us because they say, look, I applied for LTD for long-term disability or even short-term disability, and I was denied on the basis of a pre-existing condition. Now, what does that mean? It means that the policy under which you are applying for disability has a clause or a provision, all of them do that, that says that, you know, if the condition that's disabling you was pre-existing, i.e. predated 
the time that you entered the program, the policy, well, then right. we're not going to cover you for that, right? It makes sense yep. if you think about it. The problem is oftentimes insurance companies will latch on to absolutely anything in your medical records and will say that on the basis of that, that is a pre-existing condition. Well, no, it's not that simple. You have to look at the policy and you have to actually look at the definition of a pre-existing condition. And many times I see cases where the insurance company takes the position that the disabling condition is pre-existing when in reality it's not. It's something else that the person had that perhaps evolved into the disabling condition. Those are two distinct things, right? And so that's very, very important to understand. So, of course, you know, for Janice here, we're going to be able to help her. We need to see, obviously, uh, what the mammogram showed, the one that was taken in March. We need to see the policy. But generally speaking, I see a lot of cases where people are denied disability on the basis of this excuse, pre-existing medical condition. Mm -hmm. And I call it an excuse because in those instances where it's clear-cut that it was not pre-existing, the insurance company, the adjuster, you know, just says, we can't help you. And most people simply go away. They turtle. They yeah. turtle, exactly. Yeah. And they don't, don't you know, pursue the claim. So luckily, Janice here wrote to us, posted that question. You can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. You can post your questions if you have any issues with long-term disability. You'll get an answer from me within minutes. Sometimes you've said before, I know that sometimes if someone has a, maybe not you'd call it a pre-existing condition, but something that might have exa- been exacerbated by a previous injury, that can actually help their case, right? Yeah, and that's usually th- that usually comes out in uh, injury cases. Right. So, for example, you have a car accident and you hit your right knee on the dashboard. Sure. Uh, your right knee, you had, let's say, uh, an issue with it, a torn ligament or something years ago, you had surgery, but everything's been stable, you've been working. And now because of this incident now, it's been re-aggravated. And now you're told you're going to have to have another surgery, for example. They'll try to prey on that too. They're going to try and say, well, hold on for a second. How do we know that this accident caused your condition? Uh, You know, we're looking at your medical records and five years ago, you had very similar complaints. Yes, but that's not the issue. The issue is, a few months, a few weeks, a few years before this incident, th- did the person complain of these issues with their right knee? You know, the fact that they had this issue with the right knee five years ago means nothing. If anything, that right knee is now in a more precarious position. So that for somebody who's completely healthy, maybe that little bump would have done nothing to the right knee. Right. But because that knee was already fragile, that's something that the insurance company will try to Makes sense. you know sort of uh, victimize revictimize you time. by saying that it was pre-existing but it, that's not the issue here the issue is the reaggravation we'll take a short break lots more to go email is help at the insurancelawyer.ca before we talk about it you can check it out it is the injury calculator www.injurycalculator.ca as well the insurance and injury law show talk radio am640 one 9646 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Your email's coming up here. Uh, continue with the week that was. What else you got happening? Okay, here's another question that was posted to mydisabilityquestions.com. This is coming from Stella in Toronto. I was terminated from work and have short-term disability and long-term disability coverage continue for seven more weeks, as well as salary continuation for seven months. If I go on disability, what will happen with my disability payments? Will they be on hold and then continue for seven months. So, you know, we talked about this issue before. A person who is disabled gets terminated, gets fired, let go, whatever, from their employer. The employer says, John, let's say it's you, I'm going to give you seven months' worth of salary that you're going to be receiving over the next seven months. Mm -hmm. But you're disabled. Are you going to get that salary in addition to your disability payments? Well, no, you're not, because your disability insurance company, in the policy, there would be a provision 
that's what happens in most of these policies, that says that to the extent that you're getting salary or income from another source, severance, whatever it is, the insurance company gets credited for that. So if you're getting a salary for the next seven months, well, how would you get them disability at the same time, right? You'd effectively be at over 100% of salary. The whole point of disability coverage is if you're not getting salary. But here's where it gets interesting, and this is what we talked about before. Remember that in instances where a person who is disabled, uh, that person gets let go from their job, there could be a potential for him a, a human, human rights, rights complaint, yeah. which means that, first of all, we're not even sure with Stella here, who wrote the question, that the seven months she received a severance, we're not sure that that is even adequate. So she should be calling my partner, Lior, or one of the other employment lawyers in my firm. Number two, uh, even if it is seven months, what about an allocation? In other words, you know, maybe there is a human rights component here. So maybe, in fact, it shouldn't be seven months worth of severance. It should be five months worth of severance. And then, you know, whatever the remainder amount that's equal to the two months remaining, that would be as human rights damages. And that can't be... And that cannot be credited to the insurance company because that's not income, right? So again, very important. What do, you, what do you get out of this? You get out of this that, you know, if you're dealing with these kinds of issues where you're battling your employer or have been let go while you're disabled, at the same time, you're dealing with your insurance company, you want to go to a firm, a law firm, mm-hmm. that has both employment lawyers and disability lawyers because the law is intertwined in a way, right? I'm telling you, not a day goes by, John, that I don't have constant interactions with the employment lawyers on the other side of the office, and we're all in the same office. So the employment lawyers come to us and say, Sivan, what do you think about this issue? You know, my client is on disability, but they were just let go, and vice versa. Yep. Me and my disability team will go to the employment lawyers, and we will work hand in glove to make sure that we maximize whatever we can get as compensation from both the insurance company and from the employer to make our client whole. But generally speaking, if there is a disability and severance, it's consecutive, not concurrent, right? Because they got to take away what you're getting on well, severance. What so is, it'll begin after the seven months normally? So, so it's not that it's consecutive. It's that during the time you're getting your severance, the insurance company gets credited for that. Oh, so if the insurance okay. company gives you, let's say, just for ease of uh, discussion, 1000 bucks a month for disability, and your salary is 1000 bucks a month, uh, or 2000 bucks a month, well, the $1,000 you are getting a severance, right? Sorry, the 2000 you get a severance will wipe out whatever you're getting from gotcha. the disability insurer, right? Because okay. the disability insurer says whatever you're getting a severance, that's what we do not have to pay you during that time. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, you have to really look at the policy and you have to examine both issues together concurrently. one 990 9646 help at the What else you got? Okay, one thing that I want to talk about, and it's not specific to a case that mm-hmm. I had, but it's something I see more and more in newspapers and we hear about this on the news and it really aggravates the hell out of me, um, as many things do. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, issues when it comes to the most vulnerable uh, in our society. And those all are the, uh, the elderly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not the only ones, but they're the ones that we keep seeing in the news, particularly in nursing homes. And many of these nursing homes are, are, are private uh, enterprises. And you're seeing subs, uh, substandard uh, care, you're seeing abuse, you're seeing neglect, you're seeing a whole bunch of things, a constellation of problems that for whatever reason, the government hasn't regulated properly or it's not being enforced. Right. And I have people calling me, and it's almost always family members calling me because they've had enough. You know, their mother uh, was either abused or the father uh, had fallen because nobody, you know, made sure to uh, ensure that the surroundings were, that he was safe. Uh, You know, things are happening. People are suffering tremendous injuries. Uh, It's just horror stories that, you know, keep coming at me. And, you know, and I tell them, these people, these poor people, these elderly people have legal recourse. 
And if the person who is in that situation is, is, has no capacity, let's say they have dementia as an sure. example, the family members can actually bring it on their behalf as litigation guardians. The point is that these nursing homes, the ones who provide substandard care or don't care sufficiently to make sure that these individuals are properly taken care of, they should be held to account. And if the government won't do anything about that, then legally we can force them to do so. Because you know, John, nothing changes behavior more than a legal claim where the insurance company gets involved right. and that the nursing home gets hit with a huge premium hike. Trust me, you have enough of these claims and these uh, retirement homes or nursing homes, they basically calculate that it's going to cost them a lot less to make sure that nothing bad happens to their residents than to have to face these legal claims that people like myself and colleagues of mine bring. So if you're in that situation or you have a family member in that situation, please give me a call. I take this cause it's close to my heart, uh, and I, I will advise you on what your legal options are, what you can do, what your family members can do, what the resident can do, and then you choose how you want to act. And you're talking private institutions here, which are thousands and thousands of dollars a month. Absolutely. They're I mean, crazy if you go to, expensive. Oh, yeah. That, absolutely. 3000 4000 top notch. 100%. And you, but you also have government institutions. I mean, yeah. we had that case of uh, this nurse, right, in uh, right. Woodstock, London. Uh, you know, and this is a nurse, and, and there, by the way, there's a whole other can of worms because the nursing association or mm-hmm. governing body uh, appears to have not necessarily done what they were supposed to. I don't know all the facts there, but my point is we have to make sure that these individual individuals who are some of the most vulnerable in society are protected. That's my point. one 990 Use that number or email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more to come here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the phone number. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't checked it out, go to injurycalculator.ca. Find out exactly what your pain and suffering, pain and suffering component of your case could be. We'll get to that here in just a bit. But some more cases on your uh, your docket. Yeah, we had uh, an individual contact us. It's a lady from Ottawa. And briefly, here are the facts. Uh, she's been off work since uh, August of two thousand fourteen on disability. She was getting ready for work one day when she experienced a sharp pain down her back. She went to the doctor in uh, Plattsburgh, New York, uh, who found two discs and a vertebrae pushing up against a nerve. There's a whole other issues here that she's mentioned. She's seeing a spine and pain specialist uh, in in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has support for LTD. The problem is this. Her insurance company, the LTD insurer, contacted her neurologist in Burlington, Vermont. So she's seeing people all over the place who told the insurance company that she can return to work. But the problem is that that's against all the other, what all the other doctors that she's seeing are saying. Uh, So, you know, as you can imagine, if you're the insurance company, you're you're looking for any... Exactly, you're latching onto that. Uh, and, you know, here's something else. Uh, she uh, She's currently in her second appeal process. Okay, she was denied. Uh, she appealed. And now currently she's appealing again. And get this, she was approved for CPP disability just before she was cut off LTD. Remember how we always talk about how nice it is to be able to be accepted into CPP disability if you, if make you that cannot threshold, work? Yeah. Right. And so in this case, it's interesting, the LTD insurer, despite the fact that she was just approved by the government uh, as being a disabled person that satisfied the criteria of having a severe and prolonged uh, disability, she gets cut off. 
But you know what? For people out there, what do you do if you have if you're seeing various doctors and one says you are able to work and right. the other says you are unable to work? What do you do in that situation when the insurance company says, "Well, you have one doctor that says you can"? Well, I'll tell you what you do. There are a few things you can do. Number one, everything comes down to whether or not you feel that you can, in fact, go back to work. That's number one. Because at the end of the day, if you feel that you can go back to work or can try to go back to work, you should. Yep. Right? It makes sense. But if you think that you can't, as far as I'm concerned, you should stop seeing the doctor who says that you can. I mean, doesn't that make sense? It's logical, right? Stop going seeing that doctor because clearly that doctor is not listening to you. Go to the doctor that says that you can't but is offering how eventually you would be able to go back and go to other doctors that perhaps will be helpful to you. That's the key here. It's to make sure that when you're going to these physicians, you want to make sure that you're going to whoever it is that's listening to you and is going to be helping you. Now, another option is to have those doctors who disagree talk amongst themselves. Maybe they can come to some kind of an agreement. Maybe the one that says that you can work can be educated in some way by the other physician. I don't know if that's possible, but perhaps that's possible. Have a meeting. Have a meeting. Look up. On the phone, right? Uh, And, and, you know, if all that doesn't work and there is really nothing you can do, the insurance company is still cutting you off, uh, you know, despite the fact that you feel you cannot go back and you're other doctors say that you cannot go back, then call me, email me, let me deal with this. The fact that this lady is contacting me while she's in the second process of appealing the first denial or the first cutoff, she's already taking, I think, at least two two detours, okay? We are going to be able to help her. It's that simple. And you know what? Something else that we do in our cases is that if we have this, um, you know, these, these varying opinions, contradictory opinions, Oftentimes what we do is we hire our own specialist yep. when the client retains us, somebody who has a resume from here to Timbuktu, right? Somebody who is extremely well known in whatever area we're dealing with, it, whether it's a neurological issue, uh, if, if when the physiatrist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, whatever it is. And we will have that person review all of the documentation, meet with our client to assess our client very thoroughly and produce a comprehensive report that takes into account everything. And perhaps then we can get a definitive answer. And that, together with our client's evidence, together with our client's treating practitioner's evidence, that should be sufficient to persuade or force the insurance company to come to the table and pay the proper um, disability payments to, you know, to essentially compensate our clients. And again, it shouldn't take that long. You just get on it and, and there you go. Right? No, that's the key here. Again, right. very, very important. People have to understand yeah. these things. Yes, they take time. Not everything is in our control. When we schedule appointments, we communicate with doctors, you know, there are third parties here that we are bound by their timelines. Right. If they're away on vacation, whatever. But these cases should not be dragging on for years and years and years. And I'm also very, you know, listen, different lawyers do things differently. I don't like it when I hear of another disability lawyer who has chosen to appeal the denial or the cutoff of their client. Remember, my view is that if it's not within the legal framework, if you haven't started a legal claim against the insurance company, then the insurance company can just take you for a ride. Right? They're not bound by timelines, nothing. If anything, you're bound by timelines because if you miss a limitation period to start the legal claim, then you're, out of luck. you're screwed. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to move aggressively against the insurance company. And again, if your claim is legitimate, okay, if it's legitimate, pursue it. Pursue it. Don't, don't as, as, as you said, John, don't uh, turtle, turtle yeah. down or yeah. whatever Give the phrase is. Give Get in just, there. Just fight hard against the insurance company, it's not as difficult as you think to force the insurance company to pay you 
what you deserve at law. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Start there. The email is help at the insurance We'll get to lots more cases and some of your emails coming through as well. The insurance and injury law show talk radio AM six forty. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is that number. Help at the insurance We'll get to some of your emails here very shortly. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, the injury calculator it'll uh, show you exactly what your pain and suffering component of your case could be. Injurycalculator.ca as well. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, injury calculator, uh, that's uh, a great tool. Many people have used it. And what it is, is it allows you uh, in just a few seconds, literally 20 seconds, 25 seconds, by clicking a few click menus to figure out if you've been injured through no fault of your own in a car accident, slip and fall on ice, whatever, and you've suffered an injury, you want to know the starting point. You want to know if I start a legal claim, what can I potentially be looking for for pain and suffering? Uh, in terms of dollar value from my injury. Now, remember, there's a lot of other considerations, right? Whose fault it was? Um, you know, are you somewhat at fault? Are there any other damages? We are talking about, you know, what is the quote-unquote worth or value right. of a broken knee, of uh, a broken uh, fractured vertebrae, of a concussion, uh, back pain, you know, things like that. Go to that website, injurycalculator.ca, and it will ask you, when was the accident how old are you? It won't ask you for your name or your number and like that, but it'll ask you about your accident and it'll ask you about the type of injury and the severity of the injury. And then what the calculator does is it combs through cases that we've inputted into the calculator, case law, right? Cases that have actually gone to court over the last, let's say, 100 years across the country. And it looks for similar fact scenarios, similar age, uh, somebody, you know, somebody who's your age, suffered your injury, that kind of thing. And then I'll tell you, for your particular injury, according to the Canadian case law we've reviewed, you can expect uh, to get from a value standpoint for your pain and suffering uh, a range, right? So for your broken ankle, it could be thirty dollars to $50,000, right? I mean, there's going to be a range because different injuries affect people differently and different courts have awarded different amounts. So, you know, at least it gives you a starting point to figure out what is my injury worth. And then there is a button at the end. If you want to actually get in touch with me, you can click on that and it'll ask you to put in your name and your contact info. You don't have to do that. I mean, if you don't do that, then I'll never know you were on the site. But if you do that and you contact me, then at least we can have a conversation. I can tell you, you know, the totality of your claim. What are you looking for? Is it just pain and suffering? Is it income loss? Are there any other types of claims for family members, et cetera? One of the, uh, I noticed one of the uh, the inputs in the website is location too. Does that make a difference, whether you're in Toronto or Kenora? Uh, you know, it, it, it can make a difference right. because believe it or not, uh, in different jurisdictions, sometimes you get different awards. Uh, and, and in some jurisdictions, and again, depending not just the jurisdictions in Ontario, but also different provinces. Right. Uh, so, you know, there is a slight difference, but the point is that the calculator takes everything into account. Love it. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number again. Injurycalculator.ca. Give it a shot while we're uh, sit here, and uh, and chat. What else you got going on? All right. So here's an interesting case that also came across my desk. This does involve a nursing home, but it's not nursing abuse. It's a slip and fall case. Okay. Uh, so this uh, lady uh, from Markham called us on behalf of her mother, uh, and this happened uh, just a few weeks ago at a nursing home. Uh, there was water on the floor. Her mother, who um, was walking through, didn't see the water. She fell, uh, landed pretty hard on her tailbone. 911 oh. was called. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty bad. Uh, you know, fairly significant sprain. She's using crutches. She's not mobile now. Uh, the, the nursing home was advised, obviously. I mean, they knew about this. Apparently, what we learned later is that uh, the nurse who had uh, sort of seen the water on the floor before the incident... 
planned on coming back to clean the floor. In other words, she just stepped away to do whatever she was doing, didn't put any signs anywhere, didn't advise anyone to come and clean it. And of course, in the meantime, this lady's mother passes through and falls hard. Thank God, you know, there was no brain injury like that. Right. But again, and what did they do, John? They took photos of the wet floor. Brilliant. Right? Very important. If you are involved in a slip and fall, uh, if there is anything, even in a car accident, by the way, anytime there is an incident where an injury occurs to you, mm-hmm. a family member, a friend, whoever, make sure you take photos of the scene because that's documentary evidence that's contemporaneous. You've just essentially imported that into sometime in the future when everyone a few months later is saying, well, what actually happened? Well, guess what? We have photos, right? Right. There's no dispute as to the state of the floor, the state of the sidewalk, or the state of the whatever it is that you're, you know, that caused the injury. And that's very, very important because you're almost always going to have divergent accounts as to what happened. Partly because people have different perspectives and partly because, you know, when you're starting a legal claim against a potential defendant, somebody who has an insurance company and doesn't want to pay a cent, clearly, as you can imagine, that person's going to say, we did everything right. Yep. Well, we have photos to show that that's not the case. And that's very powerful. one 9646 or uh, injurycalculator.ca. You check that out. And we have help at the insurancelawyer.ca through email. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. That is through email. Got one here from Blake. Says uh, my wife has been on LTD, long term disability, for over nineteen months, but the adjuster keeps harassing her for more and more documents, and my wife has uh, tremendous anxiety. Everything uh, this lady from the insurance company calls and emails her. We've been told that my wife's payments will stop in approximately four months, and my wife is very upset. She's been suffering from anxiety and chronic pain because of an accident and says that she can't deal with this adjuster anymore. I've had two heart attacks and don't think I can deal with her either. Uh, can we help? Uh, can we have you deal with the insurance company? Oh, yes, yes, Blake, absolutely. And in fact, this happens quite regularly with um, disability cases, with LTD cases. Uh, many times when I meet with someone and talk to them about their disability case, and sometimes, by the way, they haven't been cut off. They just can't deal with the adjuster. For whatever reason, it's just putting tremendous amount of stress. In many instances, I can tell you uh, from experience dealing with some of these adjusters, they're doing it on purpose, I think. That said, there's a lot of adjusters out there who are decent human beings who are just doing their jobs and they know what they're doing. They're not trying to make the person's life harder. But as you can imagine, you are disabled. Uh, In in Blake's case, you know, his wife is already suffering from all this anxiety and chronic pain. Blake himself is unable to deal with them. Yes, many people come to us and have them deal with the adjuster directly. Now, in this case, Blake says that his wife was told that in four months, her LTD would be cut off. And well, that's, yeah, because 19 plus four, you're getting close th- to two years. Exactly, right? it's a two-year yeah. mark. So, yeah. so you know, likely what's going on here is they're saying that, you know, after the two-year mark of being on LTD, the definition, the criteria for getting LTD changes. Yep. For the first two years, it's can you do your own job. For uh, the time afterwards, it's can you do any job for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. The thing is that oftentimes when I see these kinds of, of cutoffs, and not cutoffs, but future cutoffs, uh, I, I, I look at the letters, I look at the documents, and it's not clear cut that the person will not meet the definition in four months. Right. And so that leads me to believe in many instances that the insurance company is doing something wrong because how can you know in four months if the person is going to meet that criteria or You're not? You're kind of crystal balling it, eh? Correct. No. So from a contractual standpoint, because for, don't remember, disability cases are based in contract law, right? It's the policy, the insurance policy that governs the relationship between the individual and the insurance company and the policy is a contract. 
uh, we call it in legal lingo, anticipatory breach, because we're saying we're anticipating here that the insurance companies is going to be breach in longer. breach. They're breaching the, co- yeah, I mean, they're essentially projecting to you that they're going to cut you off. And we're saying, hold on, you're doing it prematurely. You should right. not be doing it right now. So you should not be doing it. Therefore, by doing it, you have now given rise to our ability to take action. Nice. And so what we do is uh, we uh, immediately when we get retained in these kinds of cases, we contact the adjuster ASAP. And we say, sir, ma'am, we've just been retained. We've reviewed everything. We don't believe that you have the ability to cut that person off in four months. You may disagree with us, but here's the reality. If you, in fact, cut this person in four months, the next day you're going to start, you're going to get a claim on your desk. So we do that to try and prevent them from obviously cutting the person off. Another strategy that we employ is we simply don't even do that. As soon as we know that the insurance company is uh, determined to cut the person off, four months from now, three months from now, two months from now, six months from now, we start the claim now on the basis of this anticipatory breach. And we say, you insurance company have breached the policy by doing what you're doing, by telling our client that you're going to cut them off when really all the evidence shows that, uh, demonstrates that you should not be. And again, what does that do? It puts the screws to them, the legal screws, so to speak, because now that claim at the insurance company gets transferred to a, a legal uh, type of an adjuster, right. somebody who deals with legal claims, and to a defense lawyer who sees this claim through the prism of the law. And that's very, very different than the usual adjusters handling these claims. So, Blake, we can definitely help you. We can take all the stress away, not all of it, but you know the substantial portions of it. Uh, and you have to understand that as soon as we get involved – the adjuster can no longer call you or email you or your wife. They can't. They have to go through us. So you are no longer dealing with them directly. Okay? So that's already going to ease, I think, a lot of the burden for you and your wife. How about those in the in the, in the the situation where it's gone a little bit beyond that? They've already been cut off, and uh, they've been told they can appeal it. Pfft, waste of time. We know that already. But they started an appeal. Then they hear the show. Then they go, can I still call you even though I've gone for the useless appeal? Yeah, you can. You okay. can. And, and, you know, many people actually end up doing exactly that because a friend who listened to the show has told them, you know, to give me a call. And we advise them that these appeals, for the most part, almost always are completely useless. Right. Uh, and so they say, okay, well, what do we do now with the appeal? Well, you have two options. Either we start a claim, a legal claim right now against the insurance company, and th- therefore we take it out of their hands. In other words, we don't care what the appeal right. uh, decision is. We're forcing you now to go through the legal process. Or you can just let the appeal run through. The problem with the latter option is exactly what I started with, which is that most of these appeals are useless. So a few months down the road, you're going to come back to me again saying, okay, well, maybe we should have actually done option number one and started the claim ASAP. And again, that's really the key here, right? I keep emphasizing timing. Timing, right? It's not my case. It's not the money that I'm hungry for or need. It's money that you need to survive. It's money you need to use to pay your mortgage and to pay for whatever your kids need. You know, that's the key. And we understand that. We understand that when we're dealing with people who have been cut off long-term disability or have been injured or for most of the lawyers in my firm who do employment law, when you've been let go. We push these cases extremely, extremely uh, uh, fast through the system as fast as we can and as aggressively as we can because we understand that at the end of the day there's a human being here who's waiting for justice. one 990 is the number to get started. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email as well. 
And always check out the Injury Calculator. Find out exactly what your pain and suffering component could be worth at InjuryCalculator.ca as well. The insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. one 9646 is the number. Help at TheInsuranceLawyer.ca. Through email used by Leslie, for example, says I've been cut off or at least been on long-term disability for seven months after fracturing a vertebrae in my back from a fall. The insurance company said that they had a private investigator follow me and they have video showing that I went grocery shopping and that therefore I can go back to uh, doing my job as a mechanical engineer. The truth is that I can do some things, but there's no way I can go back to work yet. My doctors agree. The insurance company sent me a letter saying that my payments will stop next month. Can I do anything about this? I just can't go back to work. I'm in bed or on the couch most days because of the pain and the painkillers. This is an interesting question, Leslie, and thank you for emailing us. Uh, You know, surveillance is a technique that is used by many insurance companies. And I'll be absolutely honest with you, John. I have ordered surveillance when I was working for insurance companies because really when you don't believe a claimant or you think there's reason to think that they're not being completely truthful, well, one of the tools at your disposal is to hire a private investigator. Now, they're not allowed to uh, make contact with the individual, but they can follow you around. They can observe. They can observe, but they can do that whether or not, as you can see from Leslie's email, whether or not the person has been cut off yet or not, if you are injured because of an accident, they can order it at any time. So you can't really avoid that. That's why I keep saying, and many of my colleagues that I highly respect keep saying, be truthful. You know, listen, the fact that you are disabled from working doesn't mean that you are paralyzed. It doesn't mean that you can't do anything unless you say that you can't do anything. And then they have surveillance that shows that you can do other things. Well, then you have nothing to worry about. This issue of surveillance, insurance companies, you know, a lot of insurance companies, adjusters use surveillance incorrectly. What do I mean by that? I mean that just surveillance in and of itself, unless it's glaring, unless you're dealing with just a black and white situation that I just described, you know, yeah. you're saying that you're paralyzed and you really are not. And you're doing CrossFit. Right. It's, it's, ab- it's, cra- it's absolutely natural for people to try and live their lives. In fact, one of the first things any doctor will tell to an injured individual or a disabled individual is if you want to get back to the way you were, try to right. do things Mitigate. that you used to do before. Exactly. So I am not concerned, Leslie, with surveillance when I see it, when there is a logical explanation the way you've described it. And what I would often do in a case like yours is I would have that, first of all, I would get that surveillance, number one. Then I would show it to your doctors, the ones who are supporting your disability, and I would get their comments. And presumably, they're going to look at it and they're going to say, again, assuming that we're talking the truth here and, you know, the doctors are saying that you are disabled uh, from working, these doctors are probably going to look at the surveillance and say, yeah, he can probably do that, but there is limitations to what he can do. You know, I get that a lot with... uh, People who go to the gym, you know, they're not lifting heavy things. They're doing this a little bit, this a little bit, because the doctor told them it's a good thing. Or Keep go to the pool. Going. Exactly. Yeah. And yet you have surveillance. You know, the insurance companies lays on you and says, oh, I saw you going to the gym. You must be okay. No, that's part of rehab. That's like saying that if you go to a physiotherapist for your treatments, you've done something wrong. It's, an, it's insane. Right. Right? Circular argument makes no sense. Uh, so oftentimes when we're dealing with surveillance cases, uh, it actually to be honest with you, backfires. I, I can tell you from my own experience, anecdotally, uh, probably 75% of the times I ordered surveillance, it was not helpful to my client. My client ended up spending a lot of money for nothing. They still right. ended up paying on these claims. So I'm not concerned, Leslie, about surveillance, particularly when you're dealing with an objective injury like yours, a fractured vertebrae. 
Uh, I can deal with this very simply. You've been told you're going to get cut off. I can tell you right now, we can reverse that or at the very least, force the insurance company to the table in a fairly short period of time to either reinstate you or to resolve your claim altogether. I'm completely confident in that. Last couple minutes here, I'll just ask you this simple question. I know you get this all the time on email and phone calls as well. If you are disabled, does a a simple letter from your family doctor, is that sufficient sometimes to get you on LTD or no? It can be. It can be. Remember, you know, LTD insurers, they do need documents. And, you know, if you have a note that's scribbled that simply says this person can't work, they're not going to say you're disabled because of that. I mean, think about that. Who Who would... who would accept that as the basis for putting you on a full-time disability program? Yeah. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense. But look, if the family doctor has known you for a while, if the family doctor is really writing a report at least, you know, a few paragraphs long that explains detail. in detail. Detail, yeah. What is a disability? What's going on? Why can't you do this or that? The more meat, the better. But the fact that it's a family doctor only as opposed to a specialist no, it, that does not disqualify you from getting LTD. Of course, if you get a specialist in addition to the family doctor, it's like building a pyramid, right? I mean, you're building a structure there. It becomes more difficult. Or they can send you to see a specialist. 100%. Yeah. And in fact, in fact, I will tell you that one of the advice that I give a lot of people, if you have chronic pain and you're seeing your family doctor, get a referral to a chronic pain specialist. Yep. If you have a neurological issue, get a referral to a neurologist. Oftentimes, by getting these referrals to specialists, now you're going to get other specialists who are going to back up what your family doctor is saying, right. and your case for disability is going to be that much stronger. Good show again, my friend. In the meantime, you want to get a hold of Savan. Very simple, one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Get him at the firm. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you are on disability or uh, you want to know what your pain and suffering could be worth in the event of car accident or otherwise, there is a tool for that very simple to use called the Injury Calculator. That can be found at injurycalculator.ca as well. Any other questions, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. They will be answered forthwith by Savan himself. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640.